Welcome to Bible Study Today. We have a lovely panel for you, and uh, I'd like to introduce the panel members. First of all, Ken. Good morning, Len. Great to be here again. And then we have Harvey. Nice to be here again. Thanks, Len. And our facilitator today is Helen. That's me, and thank you for inviting me back. Before we start this study, I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes while we pray. Father in heaven, it's wonderful to be able to open your word and on almost every subject to learn something and receive instruction. And today we're going to look what happens, what has happened, and how to fix those problems that occurred within the early church. I pray that you'll bless each listener, that they might understand that you love them and you want your people to live in peace and harmony. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. As we've seen previously, even after Pentecost, the relationship between believers was at times very strained. The New, New Testament records repeated examples of the way that church leaders and individual members dealt with those challenges, and we've been dealing with that over the last couple of weeks. But this week's study provides two illustrations of the impact of attitudes about, upon relationships. But in short, the greatest demonstration of the power of the gospel is not necessarily what we say, but how we live. But before we get right into our study panel, there are several words that will be coming up through the study today. And I just wonder if we can sort of, you know, have a look at them and see what they mean. The first one, what does the word reconcile or reconciliation mean, please? Well, I one time had a hammer and the head flew off. So I had to reconcile the head with the handle and put it back on. So reconcile means to bring back together. From an accounting point of view, it's bring into agreement something that perhaps is not in agreement. Yes. Okay, anything else? Well, I think also uh, it's a matter of bringing people back together, people or families or nations. Good, good, excellent. There has to have been a rift, basically, doesn't it? If there's a reconciliation... There has to be something that needs reconciling. Yes, at one stage it was together and then it fell apart and reconcile is the part to put it back together again. I do love your um, <laughs> illustration, Len, very much. But another definition that I came across was to resolve and to re-establish relationships as Christ has reconciled us to God and to others. And this is a reconciliation between the most powerful and the most powerless which are us. Okay, so what does the word ministry mean? Just very quickly, someone. Word ministry with a small m. Okay, well, ministry means uh, service in one respect. That um, it's In ministry, it's a service to other people. That's exactly right, Len. Mm. Perhaps it could even be carried over into um, non-religious issues, Anything that service to other people could be called ministry. Mm. I was going to say to that one, Helen, that uh, it 
basically same thing, just helping other people, and they don't have to be other Christians. You can't be helping anybody. That's exactly right. Jesus said, you know, love thy neighbor, didn't he? Mm. Which include everybody. The Greek actually indicates that it's the physical attendance of being a servant. And I thought, well, that summed it up too. Okay, another word. What does the word restoration mean? Uh, this is one I'm very familiar with, <laughs> Helen, being in the building trade and uh, working with plaster over the years, many things. Um, as things get older, they sometimes fall apart or show signs of cracking or whatever, and we have to go back and restore them to their former beauty or glory. Very good, thanks. Well, yes, I've been in the restoration business in many respects, but um, I was in the car trade at one stage, and to restore an old vehicle is to bring it back to its original glory i suppose as far as is possible yeah very very good okay so let's get into our study today and hopefully um we'll understand what we're talking about when we use these words first we want to look at the first illustration involving a relationship between three people so i have down here a text a bible text acts twelve twenty-five. len would you read that for us please? sure well, it mentions all three people, and it says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, there was quite a serious rift between Paul and Barnabas, who worked together spreading the gospel, over the young man, Mark, who happened to be Barnabas's nephew, I think it was. Cousin, I believe. Cousin? Yes. Okay. Mm. And um, it appears that Mark became somewhat discouraged and left. Okay. You've just jumped a little bit ahead, Len, but that's okay. fine. That's okay, because we're going to see what happened. Let's have a look. Um, John Mark, he actually started out okay, but then we're going to look at what happened. And Ken, I think you've got Acts 13, 13 there. Yes, indeed, and we're reading from the King James Version. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Pergana in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Okay, so off they went, but what happened to John Mark? What did you just read, Ken? Well, he departed and went somewhere else. That's he went back to Jerusalem. Yeah, that's what Len was alluding to. Yes. But, okay, so here's the problem with John Mark, but it, sadly it escalated with Paul. And, Len, tell me, from Acts fifteen thirty six to 39, what did Paul do? I'll read it. Thank you. So it's Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and to see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas, and then it goes on. So here it was, these two missionaries spreading the gospel of reconciliation themselves had a disagreement. And so at that point of time, they were not reconciled. That's very, very true. 
then. Um, Harvey, I think you've got a good quote on this, haven't you? Yes. This is a quote. This mm -hmm. desertion caused Paul to judge Mark unfavourably and even severely for a time. Barnabas, on the other hand, was inclined to excuse him because of his inexperience. He felt anxious that Mark should not abandon the ministry for he saw him in qualifications that would fit him to be a useful worker for Christ. That's out of the book, The Acts of the Apostles, page 170. Mm. So Paul was judging, wasn't he? Very critical yes. of him. Okay, so although God used all these men, the issues between them needed to be resolved. The apostle who preached grace needed to extend grace to a young preacher who had disappointed him. And the apostle of forgiveness needed to forgive. So was the issue ever resolved, Ken? Yes, the issue was resolved. So it was, they did sort it out between them. Good. Would you like to read Colossians 4, 10 and 11 for us, please? Sure. Again, we're reading from the uh, King James Version. Articitus, sorry if some of these words are difficult. My fellow prisoner saluteth you and Marcus' sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments. If he come on to you, receive him. Continue, verse 11. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So did you notice what Paul actually said? He highly recommended John Mark as a what worker? A fellow prisoner. Yeah, and a fellow worker. Yes. You know, and to the church at Colossae. So that was a bit of a change to what he thought before, wasn't it? Yes, it was. They've mm. obviously uh, come to terms with certain things, and uh, Paul has seen the... Uh, advantages and uh, I suppose perhaps maybe change the heart of Mark mm. and uh, I believe and we're going to see a little bit shortly uh, the encouragement of Barnabas came in there very well um, Len let me just have a look 2 Timothy 4 11 could you please share with us what that says okay now this is the Apostle Paul writing and he says this only Luke is with me get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, we've kind of left to guess a little bit how Paul and Mark were reconciled. But obviously, Paul softened in his stance toward Mark, understanding that Mark was only a young man. And uh, you were just saying that about Paul, who was a, a preacher, of how did you put it um, he he taught and preached reconciliation I guess his own words convicted him mm. that I if I was Paul I would need to change my ways that I'd been too hard on young Mark earlier mm. I, I think it says a lot when he actually <coughs> mentioned Mark by name you know, go and get Mark and bring him to me. It reminds me of when Jesus um, had risen. He said, go and tell my disciples and Peter. You know, it was just very personal, isn't it? Mm. I think also sometimes when you look at these situations, uh, uh, this applies to the world as well, of course, where you have people who may not have the experience of something, but they've got a lot of enthusiasm. But perhaps the people that they're working with um, who have the knowledge 
aren't maybe that enthusiastic and sometimes they can't see the value of the others. That's a good point, Ken, yeah. But the biblical record is clear, isn't it? John Mark became one of the apostles' trusted companions, mm. especially, you know, towards the end. Their fellowship was reconciled and restored. Um, Len, I believe you've got something yeah, to Yeah, I'd share. like to say this. Paul's ministry was enriched by the young preacher whom he obviously had forgiven. The barrier between them had broken down and they were able to work together in the cause of the gospel. Whatever the issues between them and however justified Paul might have believed himself to be in regard to his earlier attitude toward John Mark, it was all behind him now. Oh, I love that last bit. And all that's behind a, him now. That's a good thing. And it's, it's a good lesson for us as individuals and it's a good lesson for us when we belong to a church community. We don't always see things eye to eye and quite often we're a bit hasty in forming our opinions. But when we consider it and consider our own actions, we can say, yes, I think I wrongly judged that person and we can f forgive them and clear the issue with ourselves too. Great. You know, the lesson I thought about this, what's a lesson for us, um, is also everyone deserves a ch second chance, don't they? And I want to ask a question of, of you. Does God give us second chances? I'd like to make a comment here. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> And that if it was only second chances, we'd be in trouble. None of us would be here. <laughs> we'd be in trouble. God has given us so many chances and... Uh, I don't mean that we should ever presume on the, those chances, no. but we should appreciate the fact that God does give us, well, we'll call it second chances, but we have a lot of second chances. Yeah, third and fourth and He's fifth, etc. He's just et so patient. Yeah. He's just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. As, Harvey, as you've said, uh, if it was only second chances, there wouldn't be any Christians in the world. No. Because we're just human. And it's, I think it's very interesting reading the story about uh, uh, Mark that... Um, he obviously was doing his very best, but also the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, and probably at that time they were probably the most important people on the earth, and yet they had disagreements among themselves. Mm. And being human, uh, you know, things don't always go the way we plan, and, and nothing's changed. We're still human today, and the same things crop up. Mm, you mentioned he was long-suffering. I think, <coughs> Harvey, would you like to read? There's a, a great text on this, 2 Peter 3, 9. Just before you do. Yes. You Sorry, mean to say that God doesn't have the rule, second strike and you're out? Well, Peter actually asked Jesus on one occasion, how many times should we um, forgive somebody if they've wronged us? And he sort of thought he'll think really high, and he said, seven times? And Jesus said, no, really, 70 times 7, which probably only means that it was a case of that if you're doing 70 times 7, you're not going to keep count. No. So he was really saying we should be always ready to forgive. The text that I've been asked to do here is Second Peter 3, 9, and I love this verse too. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Wow, I think that's worth underlining, isn't it? He's not willing that any should perish. So, yes, he is very long-suffering, isn't he? Yes, Harvey. The Lord is not trying to keep us out of the kingdom. He's trying to get us into the kingdom. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that, that really is uh, an amazing thing when you think about it. I know my own case, the Lord was chasing me for about 30 years. Um, and, of course, uh, I wasn't really too interested. But it's so amazing that God never gives up. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad he doesn't. Mm. I'm so glad he doesn't. But, you know, another lesson that I came across was that Mark challenges us to learn from our mistakes and appreciate the patience of others. Perhaps there's a Barnabas in our life that we need to thank for their encouragement to us along the way. Encouragement can change a person's life, and that's what Barnabas was. He was known as the encourager. Mm. And God works even through conflicts and disagreements. I thought that was interesting when you see that the the message went further because they actually separated, and then they came back together. But God actually works even through these conflicts and disagreements. So moving on to when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he met a runaway slave whose name meant useful or profitable. And Paul even used it as a play on words and in Philemon, the book of Philemon, saying that he had not been very profitable to his master in the past, but had become very profitable to both his master and Paul. So let's have a look and see who was this slave and what was his story. Okay, well, let me tell you about slaves back (laughs) in those times. Any slave who ran away from his master did so at the risk of their life. Or, if the master was willing to take them back again, they would probably receive a severe flogging. It appears that this um, uh, householder, his name was Philemon, had a slave who ran away. The slave who ran was called Onesimus. Now, I don't know how Onesimus got hooked up with Paul, but obviously he did, and he became a Christian. He was not an evil slave. I don't know why he ran away. Maybe he'd done something wrong. Maybe he just got sick of it. I don't know. It must have been very desperate. So Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, the um, householder, and he said, If... As a fellow Christian, Philemon was a Christian. If as a fellow Christian, you need to forgive and to take him back. He is a good person. He's been very helpful to me. And if our friendship means anything, take him back. And don't take him back as a slave, but take him back as a brother. And I thought, wasn't that beautiful? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Lynn. That's so really this this whole um section or the whole Philemon only has one one chapter and pretty well the whole chapter is about restored relationships, isn't it? Mm. And it can make a dramatic difference in life. But can you pick out a couple of important principles from this passage? But I think Harvey you want to say something. It's gonna say just a little bit like the story of the Good Samaritan. Paul made the comment to Philemon that if there was any cost involved with taking Onesimus back charge it to his account charge it to Paul's account Um, Mm. he was really sincere about what he wanted to do about getting Onesimus back to Philemon. Although he did say um, you know Philemon you actually owe me something. (laughs) I actually brought the gospel message to you so you owe me something so Maybe if you take Onesimus back, 
we'll be square. Why do I suddenly think of the word blackmail? <laughs> <laughs> but he did say that. That's true. But it's something worth yes, considering. It is. You know, when the gospel is brought to us, it's sometimes brought to us at great cost. And we don't think of that. We think it's just words and ideas and concepts. But sometimes it comes at great cost. And in the case of Paul, he sacrificed everything for the sake of Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with other people. Yeah, and the Lord worked amazingly through him, didn't he? Mm. Okay, can you just give me a couple of very quick um, important principles from that particular passage that you've just summarized? Well, I think this. If Philemon had not been a Christian, the whole story would have been very different. And I think Onesimus probably would have lost his life or been severely flogged. So one principle, as I see it, that when we have, when we receive the love of God, we are then able to give or share the love of God with other people. And so, as I see it, Christians should be gentle people, not exacting every last little thing that they think they should have. But because we've been forgiven, we should also in turn forgive. Thank you, Len. For me, forgiveness is not optional, actually. You know, um, Christian relationships must be full of forgiveness and acceptance, and we can only accomplish that through Christ. However, you wanted to say something. Yes, just a, a little point here. A lot of people have said, why did Paul not speak against slavery? Because slavery is something that's an anathema to most people, and rightly so. But in actual fact, he did, even though he didn't do it overtly. He said, take him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. He wanted to put it more on equal footing. And I think that that in itself was really saying, don't have it in the like a slave-master relationship. Because really, slavery was a barrier between people, wasn't it? Mm. But Christian love and fellowship are to overcome such barriers. Ken, you wanted to say something? Yeah, just going back for a moment, uh, Anisimus, I think what's really, really important about this, we mentioned the fact that he, uh, let's say he bumped into Paul, but I'm sure that's not the case. As, as we know as Christians, Everything happens for the good of the Lord, and the Lord creates all sorts of circumstances that people meet and hear the gospel. And uh, often people who are listening, who perhaps have heard the gospel a few times, every so often somebody they bump into, come into contact with or whatever, tells them the gospel again, and perhaps they're not realizing God is trying to get their attention, so you should pay attention. That's, that's a good point there, too. Okay, we in a pre, an earlier study that we did, we looked at the church at Corinth. They had very deep problems, and we're just going to. I just want to touch on this briefly. And um, Ken, would you read one Corinthians three five to eleven, please? Sure. Okay, starting per, uh, verse five. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom. Ye believed, even as the Lord give to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God give the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Neither he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 
for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundations and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Okay, we have discussed that previously. Um, but yes, we are all laborers together with God. But Len, there is a paragraph, uh, sorry, a text that actually goes with that in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it is. Yes. Could you share with us, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, uh, up to verse 15. The writer, the Apostle Paul, says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will continue our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. So here, Paul, you know how some people, they... uh, they feel good when they put other people down. It's a psychological ploy. If you want to make yourself feel good, you look at somebody else and put them down. And in this case, there must have been some people in the church community at that time who were saying, hey, look at us, look what we have done. And they were boasting about themselves. And Paul is actually giving counsel about this saying that's not a good idea we don't do it yes we have some things that we're really pleased that have happened but we're not trying to bring the attention to ourselves we're just reporting how God has worked in the lives of people this is what we can boast about not about how good we are I think if I remember correctly didn't Paul say I can boast in nothing except the cross the cross of Christ now, I want to give you a little example of this. You probably don't know, listeners, but I play golf each morning through the week, starting very, very early. And this morning I got a hole in one. I've had a few holes in one before. I think I'm up to number nine now. And my wife was talking to uh, somebody and said, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't sort of brag about when he does really well. Well, I've I've played golf long enough to know as soon as you start bragging, then you're going to have collapse. (laughs) So this is the same case with Paul and uh, what he was writing to these people. No, don't boast. Don't try and compare yourself with someone else because that leads to friction. 
That is so, so true. Um, I just noted while you were reading that passage that in the passages the Apostle actually outlines critical principles for church unity. He points out that Jesus uses different workers to accomplish different ministries in his church, even though each one is laboring together for the building up of God's kingdom. And God calls us to cooperation, not competition. Each believer is gifted by God to cooperate in ministering to the body of Christ and serving the community. There are no greater or lesser gifts. All are necessary in Christ's church. Our God-given gifts are not for selfish display. and They're given by the Holy Spirit for service in spreading the gospel. So I thought about that and I said, okay, the lesson for us for this would be when we compare ourselves with others, we may feel pride because we think we are better. But when we measure ourselves against God's standards, it becomes obvious that we have no basis for pride. And don't worry about other people's accomplishments. Instead, continually ask, how does my life measure up to what God wants? How does my life compare to Jesus Christ? I think, Helen, that's a a really good point you've made there, and I'd like to add a little bit to that. Many people out there are very, very qualified and very professional people, but often it's the people, I'll say, at the other end of the scale, not they might not be as well qualified, but they still have important jobs to do, like cleaners and all these sort of things. And often when you're work, uh, walking through a supermarket, you'll see these people pushing their trolleys and, and cleaning messes up. And I often go up to these people and say, you're doing a great job. Because uh, I think sometimes so many people think, oh, well, look, you know, uh, that's not an important job. But every single person has a job to do. And without every single person, things wouldn't run as smoothly as they do. Thank you, Ken. Yes, Lynn. Yeah, I was uh, thinking on similar lines to Ken, although I think it's lovely what Ken does and gives these people some um, recognition. I was thinking, which wheel is the most important on a car? The left front, the right front, left back, or the right back, or the steering wheel? Uh, I would say, Len, it's the nut behind the steering wheel. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one that causes all the problems. But they're all important. They're all important. Absolutely. And so the left wheel can't say to the right wheel at the front, I'm more important than you. No, 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 no. They've all got a part to play, and just as we as Christians within the church community, we all have a part to play. So to start thinking of praising ourselves is a mistake and as I said before that kind of thing causes friction Mm, when I was learning to row it just reminded me what you were saying and I started off with the one oar I had two oars to use but I was using one you can imagine what happened I went round in circles (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's a good lesson for me that I needed both oars and we do need everybody but you know when we compare our life to Christ a text in scripture jumps out at me Romans 3.23 it says All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mm. And I think, well, what have we, what hope have we got? But the good news is that Christ took the initiative to reconcile us to himself. And Len, can you read about that in Romans 5, 8 to 11 for us, please? God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, 
shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Don't you love that word? While you were yet sinners. You know, he's not saying clean up your act first and then come. No. No. If that happened, nobody would be saved. That's exactly right. Isn't it good news? Oh, I'm... Yes, I'm very enthusiastic <laughs> about news. That news, because otherwise I wouldn't be here. Well, that's truly the gospel, isn't it? And the gos- gospel actually means good news. Yes. Len, you wanted to say something else? Yes. Um... At this stage, I'd like to talk about forgiveness. Well, I was just going to come to that because in our study, we do have this word forgiveness. It's one of my favourite passages on forgiveness. It's found in 1 John 1 9. Do you know what that, any of the panel know? 1 John 1 9? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just love that. Thank you, Lane, so much. That's just one of my favourite passages. It gives me hope. But Jesus also gave us the greatest example of forgiveness when he hung on the cross. What did he say? And I think it's in Luke twenty-three, thirty-four. Ken? And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. Uh, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. That's powerful from the cross, isn't it? Len, you wanted to say something? And you think that Jesus had all the reasons in the world not to forgive. I mean, he'd been treated harshly. He'd been given an unjust, just trial. He'd been scourged, crown of thorn put on his head, mocked and all the rest of it. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think about that. Why didn't they know what they were doing? They didn't recognise who he was. They didn't recognise that he was the Son of God. He just looked like a man to them, a good, a great teacher. But he forgave them unconditionally. And this, is raise, this raises the issue, what is forgiveness? Thank you, Len. Well, how about you tell us, what is forgiveness? I guess uh, to put it into a nice little phrase, it's letting go and letting God. Mm, that's that's summarised, yeah. I read a quote that said forgiveness is releasing. I think you've actually got it there, Len. Yeah, letting go and letting God. That's absolutely excellent. Yeah. I had a situation once when I was working and I took over somebody's position in the um, in the business where I was working. And um, when the person who occupied that position eventually came back, uh, I was in the office which I'd been occupying for the last six months, just collecting a few personal bits and pieces. And somebody walked past and said, I wouldn't be in somebody else's office looking in the cupboards. He didn't really know why I was there, although he knew that I'd occupied that position before. And I was really hurt about that. I thought, you rotten sod. <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm not going to retaliate here. 
I'm going to forgive him, but he's not going to know about it. So I forgave him. You know what happened? We became quite good friends. And and that's what forgiveness is. It's letting it go mm-hmm. and letting God make the change. It's actually a choice, isn't it? Yes. It's a choice. We can choose to forgive in spite of the other person's actions or attitudes. That's the true spirit of Jesus. <coughs> okay. Um, I have a quote that I would like to share with you, and I thought it summed it up very well on this um, question of what is forgiveness. I've got it here. It says, Forgiveness involves a conscious choice to give up feelings of resentment toward another person, and consequently it also removes any right to seek revenge for what he or she has done. Forgiveness does not require you to be the guilty party or imply that the other person deserves forgiveness. Rather, forgiveness roots out anger and bitterness from our own lives, helps heal wounds and builds a basis for restoring relationships. Forgiveness does not mean excusing wrong behaviour or removing any consequences that might result from the behaviour. True forgiveness recognises the seriousness of the offence but chooses a path of healing. God forgave humans even though we were undeserving of his forgiveness. But divine forgiveness did not undermine the seriousness of sin or remove all the consequences of sin. But indeed, Jesus took the ultimate consequence of sin, suffering death on our behalf. Forgiveness, it's a conscious choice. Harvey, I think you had something to say on that as well. Sorry to interrupt again, Harvey, but I really want to talk something, say something about this. Um, if somebody says something nasty to you, yeah, all right, you can forgive that. Or if somebody does something nasty to you, you can forgive that. But we're talking about really deep issues, and I want to tell you a personal issue that my wife and I have grappled with for a long time. Quite some years ago, a pedophile interfered with two of our children, that particular pedophile spent four and a half years in jail. For his, he was actually sentenced to eight years, but he had to spend four and a half years, uh, and then he was paroled. This was very hard. Very, it was very bitter for us. And my wife and I were talking about it this week, and she said, "Well, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of let it go." But it still bothers me. Some people say forgiveness means um, forgive and forget. But I don't think that necessarily holds. The forget bit, you probably never forget. But you can let it go. You no longer hold animosity to that person. And you don't, um, you maybe won't make friends with that person. But you let it go. And that's uh, what forgiveness really means. I've, I've really got doubts about the forgetting part. I think it's just before, Harvey, you do that, you share with us too. Uh, I resonate with what you're saying, Lynn, because I had a similar experience with my, my boy. And I also have gone through um, what I called my Gethsemane experience where God enabled me to forgive a particular woman and um, to even wash her feet in ordinances now that's not pride for me that is glory to god because it is his forgiveness and his forgiveness only that takes over your heart only he 
can can put that in your heart to forgive completely. Harvey, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. Please tell me, what did you want to share with us? I think that if there's a story that's been told, and it's a true story, that a woman in Rwanda during the Rwanda genocide, she lost her husband and her children were all murdered in the genocide. A terrible time. There was more than a million people killed in a short period of time there in Rwanda. Later on, they had a truth and reconciliation um, get-together and to try and bring the country back together after being so badly fractured during that terrible time. And this man got up and he said to her, because they were speaking to each other, the ones that were hurt by the ones that hurt them, and he said he was so sorry for what he had done. And she actually saw that he was the one that actually murdered his her husband and her children. And in the end, the most incredible thing happened. When he got out of jail, he had nowhere to go. And she saw him and she invited him back to her home and she took him in as an adopted son mm. because her forgiveness was so complete. Do you think she forgot it? No way would she ever forget. Mm. But she was willing to drop it to the point where she showed Christian love in the extreme, I'd call that, and it can be done, but only through Jesus. I think, Harvey, that's absolutely an amazing story, and I, I often watch the news on television where someone has been injured, sorry, someone's been killed in a, in a car accident by someone else who's doing the wrong, th has done the wrong thing, and I, I really wonder the pain and suffering that the uh, the other partner, husband, wife, whatever, uh, has must be phenomenal. And how can they possibly forgive someone that's done that? It must take a tremendous amount of courage. Well, again, let me say, I believe it's an amazing love that God mm. puts it back into our heart. Um, if we, we have the choice to forgive or not to forgive. But if we don't forgive and we hold animosity, it's like taking a poison pill and hoping the other person's going to drop dead. All it does is it hurts us inside. Mm. Some of you may have seen the film called The Railway Man. It's a true story about a, um, a prisoner of war who the Japanese had captured and was forced to work on railway and uh, he was severely beaten well when the war was over of course the Japanese lost the war and this man decided he was going to retrace his steps it had worked on him he got married and it worked on him and he was not happy and felt dissatisfied and he wanted to get this out of his system he wanted revenge. When he actually met up with this um, prison guard who'd beat him up so very much, he couldn't take revenge. He was going to smash his head in, but he couldn't. Instead, he forgave him. You know, we're talking about unity or oneness within the Christian community. When we can put aside our differences and forgive somebody who might we think might have done something wrong, that will bring about unity. 
as long as people hold that grudge, you won't get unity. And I think this is very important in this series of studies that we've been having, that forgiveness is a key factor in maintaining unity within a family or, in this case, a Christian community. Mm, thank you. Harvey, I think you wanted to say something about our own spiritual well-being. Yes, I'd like to read a passage here. Forgiveness also is crucial for our own spiritual well-being. A failure to forgive someone who has wronged us, even if they do not deserve forgiveness, can hurt us more than it hurts them. If an individual has wronged you and the pain festers inside because you fail to forgive, you are allowing them to hurt you even more. Well, that is so true, isn't it? Well, we talked a fair bit about forgiveness, but um, and you brought in uh, Len about you know conflicts within our church, and you know we need to put them aside. And Jesus gives us three steps in Matthew eighteen to help us to resolve these conflicts when we're wronged by another church member. And why did Jesus actually give us this counsel? And what was the first step towards you know um, this conflict being resolved? Well, I think uh, Jesus gives us these steps because, firstly, he wants unity in the church. That's so important, firstly. But secondly, uh, he doesn't want the individuals going on and uh, not forgiving each other or not being reconciled to each other, which we're talking about today. So the very first step he gave us was to actually go and seek the person out and discuss the issue with him. Mm-hmm. We know how it is if you have a difference with somebody and that difference is unresolved. It always grows bigger in one's mind. And it might be a little thing, but after a while it becomes an enormous thing. And it, it, if it's not settled, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And the difference between, the separation between the two individuals involved will just increase. I, sorry, Glenn, I was just going to say it increases also because sometimes we don't keep it within ourselves. You know, the counsel that Jesus is giving us is that we go one on one. Yes. Is that not the first step? Yeah. So I'll read this uh, section from Matthew chapter 18. I'll read verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 sets the scene. If your brother sins against you, Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. First step, as was previously mentioned, go and talk to him or her. And if it's a husband or a wife, you need to talk it out. If you don't, that that separation will just grow wider and wider and wider. And some of you who are listening to this program today may have experienced this very thing I'm talking about. If that person refuses to listen to what you say when you want to heal the situation, then Jesus advised, take some witnesses along so they can hear the discussion and they can help uh, understand the situation uh, good advice it goes on from there too but I'm 
leave somebody else to say about yeah, that. Yeah, well, I was about to say, sometimes that, that doesn't work either, especially in a church scene. So, Harvey, tell me, what would be the next step that, that Jesus counsels us to do in Matthew eighteen seventeen? It says in Matthew eighteen seventeen, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Wow. Okay. So I think you wanted to say more on that one, did you? Actually, it's a, a case of that it's almost like the end of the line. If a person will not, in fact, be reconciled, then the, that's an issue that is a pretty serious issue if it's of significance. A lot of issues we have may not have much significance at all. But I think when we come to this sort of point, it has to be something we're dealing with a very strong principle of right and wrong that has to be dealt with. We cannot just leave it and sweep, the, sweep it under the carpet. We have to face it. But do, do we actually stand up in front of the whole church and just bring that to the fore? What's the, what's the guideline here? No, I wouldn't. I, I would suggest by even what Paul says, when you take it to the church, you take it to the, the governing body, if you like to put it that way, the, the, um, the church board. You don't really want to throw it out for everybody there because you're not trying to actually destroy a person. You're trying to actually um, be redemptive. But if they don't listen, of course, then it has to go to the church. But it goes through the church board, I would say. Christ's purpose was reconciliation, wasn't it? It wasn't to blame one party and exonerate another. Yes, Len? The, what Jesus says here, he says, if your brother sins against you, so we are to assume in this case that the you is the innocent party, that the brother is not the innocent party. The, the brother might have done something really bad. Um, he, uh, maybe it could be something like this. If it's, say, a church situation and your car was parked in the uh, proper spot and somebody opened their door and um, didn't watch out and dented your car... Maybe somebody reported it. We don't know. This is all uh, hypothetical at this stage. And you know then that he has done this to your car. And, of course, it affects you personally. Step one. Go and say, um, did you have a bit of an accident? Did the door fly open? Did the wind catch it? Blah, blah, blah. And he refuses to acknowledge it then you can take some witnesses, maybe somebody who saw it. If he still refuses to acknowledge it, then you take it to a wider group. And if he refuses to acknowledge it, then Jesus is saying, well, you can't, you can't heal the situation. You can't actually um, reconcile that person to yourself. So you just have to let it go. And in this case, he says, well, treat him as a Gentile or as a tax collector. Tax collectors, of course, are favourites with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying you don't have to get to be bosom buddies with him again, but at least let it go. Yes, you just, you just have to let it go. You can't do anything. 
if he refuses to be reconciled. And this happens in marriages. When parties reach such a point that they cannot get together, they can't see eye to eye, you just have to let it go. That's so, so true. Just a little point here too. We talk about this forgive and forget. And from a human point of view, I find that almost impossible, if not impossible. But there is good news. God has said that he will forget if we do wrong. If we ask him for forgiveness, our sins will be cast as far as the east is from the west or to the depths of the sea away. And even he says he will forget. Mm. Yeah. I'd just I'd like to add a little bit there. It's, it's, I think, very important. We're talking about forgiveness here of things that other people do to us, but this isn't just people in the church. This is people outside of the church as well. Yes. We all need to forgive, uh, irrespective if you're a Christian or not. Absolutely. Let me also add, not just to forgive others, we need to forgive ourselves uh, often. That's the hardest part. When we've done something, it's very hard to forgive ourselves. What it actually does is this. While you hold that grudge, it doesn't do you any good. Psychologically, it's a burden. It's a a monkey on your back. But when you come to the point where you forgive that person, you release yourself, not just the other person. You release yourself and that then no longer becomes a burden and a problem. And forgiveness is a wonderful thing. That's so true, Lane. That's so true. I'd just like to sum up, um, as time is running out, um, lessons for us. I thought about this too, and I thought, okay, do not suffer resentment to ripen into malice. Do not allow the wound to fester and break out in poisoned words which taint the minds of those who hear. Do not allow bitter thoughts to continue to fill your mind and the other person. Go to your brother or sister and in humility and sincerity, talk with them about the matter. You know, the gospel story demonstrates God's extravagant grace and forgiveness as he reconciles and heals the broken relationship between God and human beings. It also provides the motivation for pursuing reconciliation and healing in human relationships. And it illustrates the attitudes that are necessary for this to occur. There's an old saying that you that may help us as we move from reconciliation to unity. It says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity or love. Mm. Len, you want to add something? Okay, well, there is a, is a verse in the Bible which is advice to anybody. It says, let not the sun go down on your anger. Now, when we have um, a dispute with somebody else, we can get quite angry. Usually we get angry when we can't control the situation. If they won't see eye to eye with us, we can get a bit hot under the collar. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And this parallels very much with what we've been talking about forgiveness. If there is a situation that has not yet been resolved, we can resolve it and do ourselves good by simply forgiving and just forget about it. I uh, know somebody who used to get into a lot of trouble on the road 
if ever, for example, he was cut off in a lane or something like that, he'd get really hot under the collar and he would give the finger or toot his horn or try and pass that person and then slow down in front of them. You know what it's like, don't you, eh? <laughs> um, these days, would I say to myself, that person mightn't have been paying attention, might be feeling unwell, might have had a disagreement with somebody. Just let it go. And oh. that just makes life a lot more comfortable. Thank you, Len. May I say one step that we haven't mentioned, although I'm sure we think about it, and that is pray. You know, start your day with prayer. When you're in any situation, pray about it. Talk to God about it and ask him to give you that love in your heart and the long-suffering and the patience. Ken, I'd like you to finish for us today on Colossians three, twelve to 17. I think this is excellent counsel. Could you do that for us, please? Sure. Okay, starting uh, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgive us, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever do ye do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Thank you. I think that's excellent counsel for us to finish on this week. I'd like to thank the panel. And um, I'd just like to have a word of prayer just before we finish, unless someone has a comment they'd like to make just prior to finishing. No? Okay, I've worn them all out. <laughs> okay, let's just pray, shall we? Loving Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for what you have done for us. We're so grateful that you have reconciled us through your Son. And, and we're just so grateful that we can share this morning from your word. I pray, Lord, that you will indeed help us to put on your righteousness. Help us to be loving and lovable. Help us to be humble and kind and meek and long-suffering. Help us to forgive each other. And I pray, Father, that your peace, your peace that passes understanding, will also take over in our hearts and our minds. I pray that all we do will be only to your honour and glory. I pray in the precious, loving name of Jesus. Amen. Yes, thank you, everybody. I'd just like to mention one thing before we finally wrap up today Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount blessed are the peacemakers and as we take part in reconciling people to people and people to ourselves and reconciling people to God we do a great work thank you for joining us today be listening next week won't you